Hey, everybody. It's Dion Lim from ABC7 News in San Francisco. And I'm really excited to be part of the Race and Coronavirus podcast because throughout my career, never have I felt so passionately about representation. And my career has spanned five cities across the country. And now is the time to have these conversations. Welcome to Race and Coronavirus. I'm Levi Sumagaisai. And I'm Patty Navalta. Our guest today is Dion Lim, an Emmy Award-winning anchor and reporter at KGO-TV, ABC7 News in the Bay Area, and author of Make Your Moment, a book on empowering workplace communication strategies for women in any industry. Welcome, Dion. Yay, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, the reason we asked you to come is because you've been at the forefront covering the issue of race and the pandemic from the very beginning. I remember very early on, you were posting stories, even on your personal um, social media about anti-Asian incidents in the Bay Area, way before I was seeing much news about it in, in other news outlets. So I wanted to ask you, how and when did you decide that this was something that you were going to take on? And was it a very hard sell to your station? So many good questions, so many ways to answer that. You know, I think we have to go back before the pandemic, really, because the anti-Asian sentiment has been brewing in the Bay Area for years. You can talk to Asian Americans across our area and they will tell you the same thing. And I was seeing it, gosh, happen a lot in San Francisco in particular. And the story that piqued my interest was at the time an 89-year-old woman who had gotten beat up on a playground and left for dead. She had, I believe, been robbed. And I mean, this was the first story that I covered, really, in my career, where I looked at this victim and I wanted to cry because she looked so much like my own grandmother. And she reflected so much of me and my family. And it was a strange experience because I had come from these places that were not very diverse. I've never been super close with my family. And I felt a sense of connection and a sense of, I need to do something. I need to help seek justice for this family in some capacity. So that's when it first started. And as the months went by, as I was telling this story, I think the audience realized, okay, Dion is sharing a little bit about her journey and what it's been like for her to grow up where she did in these non-diverse places and finally have a voice and use it. And they came to me with stories and it kind of just snowballed from there. And then we got to the coronavirus and that incident that happened in San Francisco's Bayview involving that elderly man who was collecting recyclables. And we saw him get beat up harassed, humiliated, in tears. And it was that video that resonated with not just people here in California, but all over the country and all over the world. And that was really the catalyst for when I said, okay, we're onto something. People are finally listening, finally paying attention. Let's see what we can do, how far we can go. Was it a hard sell when you went back to your producers and said, this is something that I want to keep on? I think... I wouldn't say hard sell. I would say it needed some good communication in presenting what was happening. Because listen, 
I'm the only Asian American woman who is reporting three days a week at my station. I mean, there are others, but they're not necessarily in the field. And I found that there was a great responsibility to speak out and I have to do it in the right way because if not, it's going to seem, Dion, why are you bringing up race again? Is there anything else you can cover? Are you just one dimensional? So it wasn't that there was pushback. It was, I needed to present the stories and why it was important. So I had to provide context. I had to show statistics. I had to give anecdotal examples and show pictures because just how that video of the man in the Bayview resonated with people who were not even Asian, I needed to do the same with my team on a daily basis. That's a perfect segue into my question, Dion. And that is that you wrote an op-ed in the San Francisco Chronicle in March. And one of the things you mentioned was that your mom emailed you and asked you to stop highlighting incidents that were happening to Chinese Americans. You obviously have not listened. (laughs) So can you talk about why? And also, how does your mom feel that you are keeping on this story? It's a cultural thing, right? Maybe you share the same, but I was always taught growing up, you keep your head down and your nose clean and you do as what you're told. Don't cause any trouble. Just work hard because if you study and do your best and excel and be number one, that is how you gain success. And I remember even growing up, my mother once tripped in a parking lot and twisted her ankle. And it was on a piece of asphalt that had come up. And clearly it was because the parking lot was not maintained. And I said, mom, you're hurting. This is clearly the responsibility of the grocery store. Why don't you say something? And she goes, oh no, they won't listen to me. It doesn't matter. And I realized that in order to make things matter, sometimes you have to ruffle feathers and sometimes you have to go outside that comfort zone. And when my mom told me to stop, ah, God, that was uncomfortable. I just ignored it. And I kept going because I felt that strong conviction that these are people who feel like they can trust me and that they can trust me with their story to get it out into the public and make some change. And let's just try, because if I couldn't do that for my mom in the grocery store, maybe I can do it for them. Yeah. You've already touched on this um, in the previous questions, but I just want to dig a little deeper. Obviously, as a reporter, you're used to covering news, but as an Asian American, you're still human. So I imagine this hits very close to home more so than other stories. So can you talk about, you know, are your parents immigrants? How has this story personally impacted you? Yeah. So I think as journalists, we're always told to be unbiased and not to inject our own personal stories into our reporting. I think nowadays, more than ever, there's a degree where we have to do that, not only to compete, but in order to make the news compelling in order to bring that unique perspective and in order to get people to truly understand and have the story be in context and resonate with them. For me, covering a story where I can provide examples of where I come from, because my mom is an immigrant from Taiwan, my father is an immigrant from Hong Kong, and the struggles that they went through with racism. Now, I feel 
are more pertinent than ever. And I can provide that context that, yeah, racism is not something new in America. I remember I was in a newsroom and I'm going to just say it. I was in Tampa Bay when I was the primary news anchor there. And I was in an editorial meeting. And I remember clear as day, the Trayvon Martin news cycle was going on. And there was a woman, not a woman of color, who said, wow, I didn't realize racism was still a problem in the United States and questioned us localizing the story. Nobody said a word. And I looked around and there were some other people of color in the room too. And I said, why aren't they speaking out and saying something and proving this person wrong? So I just said, I said, actually, it's been a problem for a really long time. And I gave an example of my parents and how when they first came to the U.S., people threw eggs at their window. And I don't know if that necessarily did anything. I don't recall if we ended up doing anything coverage-wise, but at least I made a voice for myself in that newsroom, in that editorial meeting. And I had people come up to me afterward and said, hey, thanks for sharing that perspective. It makes me realize, even though I didn't realize it was an important issue, it's an important issue to you. And it's probably an important issue to many other people out there. Definitely been in that spot as well, Dion, you know, having worked in, in a newsroom for a long time. I have to ask, since this just happened yesterday, Quick note here that we recorded this interview in mid-May. What did you think about President Trump telling an Asian American reporter when she asked them a question to ask China? What did you think? How did you feel? And how does that relate to everything we're talking about today? I felt nauseous because it's happened Again, this particular reporter is a friend of mine because I know her through AAJA, the Asian American Journalists Association, and just through being in the news industry with her. And she has been the target of President Trump multiple times. And first off, I applaud her for having the quick thinking to respond the way that she did. My reaction is this, is that You could tell this time more so than any other time that he's picked on her, that she was shocked and she had a visceral reaction and that she was annoyed and as she should be. I know that there's been criticism saying that her question back was biased or had some kind of personal angle to it. But let me say this, as a human, when you're bullied, you cannot tolerate it, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a nurse or the guy who delivers the mail. It is a basic human decency issue. And I think she handled it beautifully. And honestly, I applaud the other journalist as well, who gave up her opportunity to speak to let Weija comment and follow up and continue and hold the president accountable. I think that's what needs to be done. I totally agree. And and I share your nausea. <laughs> I want to I ask you about the race and coronavirus town halls that you've had with your station. How did that idea come about? And what are some of the revelations that you've taken away from them? Yeah, it came around the time of the op-ed in the San Francisco Chronicle when I felt so strongly about the need for journalism and the need for speaking out that I went to my general manager and I said, Hey, 
do you think I can participate and write this op-ed? And I was fully expecting him to say, "Mm, maybe, or other management to say flat out no. But to my surprise, without hesitation, he said, go for it. Just make sure I can take a look at it ahead of time. I'm sure it'll be fine. And as we were talking and realizing that he was really on board and understood this as an overarching systemic problem that needed to be covered on a wide range and a wide basis, I said, we should keep going and do a town hall. And other people at my station had echoed that sentiment. And I never expected it to actually come to fruition, especially in this age of coronavirus where you can't have a traditional town hall. But lo and behold, About a week and a half later, we had a group of people at my station put together a, I think, panel with more than 12 people on it to have the conversation. And that was so successful that we ended up having one for Latinos and one for the African-American population. So I'm really proud of how it's snowballed into something that's taken hold as something we can really own and and be at the forefront of. It's great. Dion, can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with your viewers and how it has maybe evolved during this crisis, especially as you've tackled the topics that you're you're tackling? I love this question because on a career level, I remember early on in my career, I was pigeonholed as the morning person because I was a morning news anchor and bubbly and happy and smiley. And yeah, I mean, that's my personality. I enjoy the effervescent positive stories that enlighten and empower. I think that's fantastic. So the relationship I had with my audience up until maybe the first five years of my career, and even more so in the past year, has been a lot of, hey, how are you? I like your outfit. And, you know, light, fluffy stuff. And that's been great. And they've been so supportive and wonderful. But it's been interesting as I've been covering these very serious, hard-hitting topics that are very people have passionate viewpoints on, I've gotten a little pushback and it's been interesting. You know the saying of you see who your true friends are, you see who your true fans are as well. To be honest, I expected a lot more pushback. I would say maybe only about 10%, if that, maybe 5% of the comments that I've gotten from my viewers have been, Dion, since when have you gotten so raged up about something so heavy? Or Dion, why don't you tackle more African-American issues? You're so biased. No, that's not the case. You're just not used to seeing me in this light. And it's fine. The people who are, I think, true supporters have said, keep going, keep representing. We need somebody to be more vocal like this, because I think there's also a lot of people in the industry who, you know, still subscribe to let's just tell the story and and that's it. And we can't do that anymore. And I just want to make sure that my audience sees the authentic me. And that's part of me now is being that, that voice piece for our community. Yeah. On the topic of viewers, you've been very generous in sharing some of the examples that viewers have sent to you in terms of really horrible incidents of racism. But on the other side, you've also shared stories of resilience and unity. And so it's, there's both. And I was wondering if you could share examples of both, you know, the really horrible, but the really beautiful that stick out in your mind. Oh God, I'm so glad you asked this. Cause I mean, there's so many examples. There was one week where at the end of the day, I started tearing up. I was so overwhelmed because not one, but two Asian American women reached out to me 
on social media in my direct messages. One sent me a picture of a bloodied grandmother. Her face was bruised and she was clearly in pain. And she said, Dion, I've been following you. I've never sent you a message before, but look what happened to a friend of mine's relative. And I was shocked. I was shook to the core. And that very same week, I got another message from a woman who said that her mother had gotten beat up in the parking lot of the restaurant depot and there were no cameras around and nobody would listen to her story. And I felt so helpless because in both cases, the victims were very hesitant to talk, as we often find. They're scared of retaliation. They don't want to bring that attention to themselves, kind of like what my mom said, don't keep showing these videos and sharing these stories. Don't cause any trouble. And those were really hard to stomach. And the other stories that are hard to stomach are the ones where there are emails or letters of clear racism. One that happened about a week ago, the business owner who reached out to another business owner looking for a lead and instead got a response of, we don't work with Orientals. Mm-hmm. And that took on a, my, my God, that exploded and went viral. Mm -hmm. And that segues into the positive things that can come out of it because I shared it because so many people shared it. The business owners, the both of them actually had a conversation and whether or not we think the conversation was genuine or if it had good intentions or just because this person had gotten called out and humiliated on a public forum, that's to be seen but at least the dialogue was happening. And I was really encouraged by that. So that's some of the positive that's coming out. Some of the other positive I think that's coming out is the the feeling of empowerment of other people wanting to share their stories. And maybe they're not ready to talk on camera. Maybe they're not ready to do a news story, but at least the dialogue is happening. And I'm going to take that for the win. The small, but you know, it's a start. Right. So That's actually, we have talked to other Asian Americans about this issue of anti-Asian sentiment because of coronavirus. We've talked to assembly member Phil Ting from San Francisco and Dr. Jung, head of Asian American studies at San Francisco State. And they have both talked about being encouraged by sort of the backlash against the backlash against Asian Americans. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that that backlash against that backlash is enough to help drown out the hate? I have some feelings about this because the backlash against the backlash can also be misconstrued as combative and the incorrect way of approaching things. I have seen the response to the racism be so combative and ignite a firestorm of more hate. And that's exactly what we are trying to avoid. And it just makes us look bad, right? And we need to set an example at this time. In a way, I'm encouraged, yes, because look at what's happening, especially on social media. We have for the very first time a group of younger people, millennials in particular, who are very engaged on platforms like Instagram. You have influencers, Jackfruit, for example, Asians with Attitude, really silly names, but they're tackling these issues and bringing them to light. They're not being presented always in a traditional sense of a news story that is 
less siding on one way or the other. Yes, they are a little bit combative at times and they really go out on a limb and push the envelope. But again, the conversation is happening and people are getting emotionally charged. And I think we have to be because if you didn't care or get pumped about something, how are you effectively going to put enough heart and soul into making it better? I, I want to add, you and I have had very candid conversations and I, I wanted to ask you as a reporter, how would you grade or how do you feel mainstream media has done in terms of covering this issue of race and coronavirus? Yeah, I think it's getting better. I think we see articles in the New York Times and really big respected publications. I remember even with my op-ed, I was talking at one time with someone who was affiliated with the op-ed editor, and he was saying that he was getting so many requests for discussion on this topic. So I was encouraged by that. I think that across the board, and I can speak to television in particular because it's my wheelhouse, I have heard from a number of Asian American journalists from across the country who say, Dion, we don't live in a diverse part of the country like you do. And even though the audience is not reflective of the issues that I'm passionate about, they're still important. And it's a struggle daily to get the people who are in management to understand the importance. Because again, I've said this many times, but it's not just about having a diverse face, front a newscast. That only goes so far. It's the people who are making the decisions at the top that dictate the news coverage. I was really disheartened when I received a phone call from a journalist, very well-respected, had been in the business for a very long time. And this person said, Dion, how have you been able to speak out and really take the reins on the issue of race and coronavirus? Because I feel like I'm being silenced by my station. I feel like they don't want us to ruffle feathers and are not making this a priority. And I said, you just got to chip away at it. Whether it be a post on, on your social media, you can do that. Or whether it be the next time you do a story that is not related to the subject. Maybe you just have a conversation and you glean something from that one-on-one -on -one exchange. It's an uphill battle. And I don't necessarily think that other parts of the country are as in tune with it, which means even more so, I think we have to have the discussion and make sure it spreads across our borders. Well, we totally agree. That's why this podcast and our newsletter exists. So thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It was um, really insightful and I applaud everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Dion. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks to you. Thank you, Dion. Really appreciated um, you being candid with us. Like Patty said, this is why we decided to start this newsletter and podcast. Thanks for listening to Race and Coronavirus, and thanks to our guest, Dion Lin. See you next time. That was a good conversation. Some of the things she said really resonated with me. She's in TV. I was in newspapers, you know, for most of my career, but I remember feeling some of the same things she expressed about sort of wanting other people in the newsroom to understand how I was feeling. Yeah, I agree. I felt it when I was hired just as a copy editor. I felt it more so when I reached management. 
it gets harder and harder the the higher you go because there are fewer people like you. And more often than not, my perspective was was the only perspective you know, in that room that was diverse. And, and that was the reason uh, why I teamed up with, some, with coworkers when I was at the Chronicle to create an ad hoc diversity committee because we felt that we weren't represented or the diversity of the community wasn't represented in the stories, whether it was sourcing, whether it was images and just topics alone. And so that's why we created that. And it's disheartening to hear that it continues. It shouldn't happen to this day, but it does. And, and that's why, again, why you and I are doing this. That's why Deanne's doing what she's doing. Another thing is because the news and media industry have struggled and they have had to, especially, you know, in newspapers, because that's where my background is. And they've had to do layoffs. As I saw over the years, minorities were among the first to go or to be laid off. And, you know, the newsroom loses really valuable voices when that happens. So again, just talking with Dion, seeing that she is in this anchor position in the Bay Area, which is a huge market, is encouraging. Yeah, I agree. Next time, we'll discuss small businesses and how they're being affected by this pandemic. Please subscribe at raceandcoronavirus.com and listen to our future podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.